Thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to bring your word to your people. I pray that you anoint me with your spirit to uh, preach this message, bring you glory and honor, and bring your people closer to you. And we thank you, we thank you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. You know, for, for decades and decades, the United States, the United States has, has been considered the most powerful, the wealthiest nation on this planet, the most advanced, uh, the most advanced lifestyle, everything advanced, advanced, advanced. We live in a land of opportunity where freedom of expression and democracy prevails. We have so much that God has given us individually and in this land. But let's go back to Jesus' day. As we know, Jesus was a Jew. And during his time, his country was under the thumb of Roman oppression led by Caesar Augustus. And we also know that during Jesus' time of ministry, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were trying to always to trip him up always trying to push his buttons, so to speak, and, and kind of put him in a box in a corner. And so that's where we want to go today. So my first thought is, number one, is the trap. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 22, 15 through, uh, through, through 22. Let us listen for the word of God. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with what? The truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is... Your opinion, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the law. And the Herodians, well, they were always in conflict with the Pharisees. They were were Jews, but they really, they supported Herod's dynasty, and they supported Roman policies. This put them right in direct conflict with the Pharisees. But on this occasion, they united with the Pharisees because both groups were threatened by Jesus' popularity. So they devised this little, they thought, little plan to trip Jesus up. Because 
we need to understand that the Romans had the, had the, had the Jews so under their thumbs that it was even an offense for them to even think about paying any taxes to Rome. So you have all of that, that dynamic going on. And so they come to Jesus with this. And so they thought by if they could trip Jesus with this trick question about paying taxes to Caesar, they thought if one, if Jesus affirmed paying taxes to Rome, then that would put Jesus in conflict with his, with his, uh, his messianic calling, if you will, and the popularity of the people would be, would be in jeopardy. So they thought. Or if Jesus challenged the Roman paying taxes to the Romans, that would put him in what? In hot water with the Roman government. So they figured he was in a no-win situation. They've got him. There's no way that Jesus was going to get out of this dilemma. So they fought. Then Jesus said in verse 17, 16 and 17, they sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and, the, and, and that you teach the way of God accordance to the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax of Caesar or not? Now, before we get into what Jesus comments here, we, we're going right into number two thought. My second thought is Jesus' shocking response. Again, we need to go back. We're going to be going back to the scripture because I think it's so important for, for the message and for the story that we need to keep reviewing. Verses 18 through 22. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you, are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. I'm going to stop there. What did he call them? He called them hypocrites. He said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? We tend to look for yes and no answers to our questions, but often it's not quite that simple. But here... They were using flattery. Jesus, you are an honest teacher in the ways of God. No one can sway you. You know, they were trying to set, set him up. No one can sway you. Verse 17 again, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Again, looking for yes and no answers. But Jesus perceived their intent by saying in verse 18, you hypocrites, while you're trying to trap me. We look for yes and no answers so often, don't we? And but sometimes life is not that simple. It's not that easy. But Jesus said, give me the coin. Where's the coin? And then he said, whose image and inscription is on it? And what did they say? They said, it's Caesar. Caesar's on this. And Jesus' answer, 
Listen to this. Then Jesus answered in a way that shocked and made them amazed and uncomfortable. What did they do? According to the Bible, they walked away in verse 22. 21, again, Jesus says, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus, Jesus' answer didn't pay tribute to Caesar, no, but to give Caesar what belongs to him and at the same time give to God what belongs to God. We pay taxes in, to our government for the purpose of what? For leading us and for services, don't we? We pay taxes to our government to protect us and so on. To keep us safe. However, our greater dues are owed to God. Jesus said, give back to God what is God's. That's the greatest due. It's not taxes to a government. Give back again, again, and again. He said, give back to God what is God's. You're all stuck in all this material stuff, this worldly stuff. And Jesus is trying to open their eyes and hearts to the real, real truth and the real issues. It's back to God himself. Amen? Okay. So our greater gifts, we give back to God. Why? Number three, everything is God's. Everything that we have, everything that you own, your life, your children, your family, at the end of the day, it's God's. Every dollar that you make, every dollar that you save, every car that you buy, at the end of the day, it comes from God who's given you the gifts and everything to do what you are called to do. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and what is God's is God's. I've said that at least three times. I believe Jesus was making very, very clear, a clear statement that at the end of the day, God owns everything. He owns everything and has all the power and authority to say, again, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the first part, which is subservient to the second part. And, and to God, what is God's? It is so important for a Christian to know that God puts governments in order. He, he puts them in power. Our government. Now, we can really get lost in this, but he does put all governments in power. But then he's talking about really that in the process of the government, wherever government we, we are under, that we still can put him first, put Jesus Christ, and so honor our governments up to a point, right? Up to a point. We're called to honor our government. Are you honoring your government? Jesus says, honor your government. Up to the point. If it's in conflict with God and his principles, we draw the line, don't we? I hope so. We draw the line. You know, I, I, I think we have the greatest government in the world. 
I don't all of us here have probably studied our government. I've studied it and studied it for so many years, and I studied it again in seminary because being a Presbyterian, did you know this? This is one for the one for the Presbyterians. Is our government got its principles and structure from the Presbyterians. So I could say way back then we were the true demo, you know, democracy. But see, my point with all of that is, is that God has placed all these governments in, in, in place. And people say, what about Hitler? What about happened in World War II? What about all of these governments, these tyrants that have just are oppressing people? I can't tell you, I cannot tell you why Hitler did what he did. Oh, we can say, well, that's because this guy was, was uh, controlled by evil. I would, we would never doubt that. I wouldn't doubt that. But, isn't, but to me, it's not, there's not an easy answer to why God put some of these tyrants in place and so many people are just, you know, are tortured, are, are killed under their leadership. Some questions are totally are sometimes really impossible to answer. I can't answer that. All I can say is this, that God has his reasons. For every government, God has his reason for putting them in place. And our call, our responsibility, is to have faith in his reasons, to trust in him in the process of what's going on, because at the end of the day, he knows what he knows what he knows what he knows. Amen? You know, I can't, I can't come up with, and if you can come up with a real solid answer for me, I'd probably listen, probably say, but that's not enough. Sometimes we have to say, I don't know. I don't really know exactly why. Sometimes we need to come to terms that we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Sometimes God gives me the answers later on, but when I'm going through a lot of, sometimes with my pain, I don't have all the answers. But in time, I know that God will reveal what he needs to reveal. Amen? Okay, that was a, that was a pretty good amen. Okay. So, I'm not going to share that. I won't do that. I'm going another direction here. Uh, let's go to number four. All authority is God's from John 19, 19 through 11. And here, this, I, we shared, with, I think, part of this passage a couple weeks ago. But I think it's very good because, you know, it's really talk about, about Jesus standing before Pilate. And we all know the story, when we're, that's getting into Easter, but we all know the story that Jesus was unfairly uh, put on trial, etc. We know that. But he's standing before Pilate. And this is where, just listen to the dialogue that was, was happening during this time. Verses 9 through 11. And he, Pilate, 
went back inside the palace. And he asked Jesus this question. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize that I have the power to either free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, here it comes. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to to you is guilty of a greater sin. Before Pilate stood the Messiah, the word became life and dwelt among us. Yet Pilate thought that he had the power, the authority to control Jesus' life and his destiny. But really, Jesus rebuked him and is really saying that all authority, that all people in authority, they ultimately receive their power from God. And as they receive power from God, one day they will stand before him. Every power, this is something we know. You talk about tyrants in history, whatever. All leaders will stand one day before God. One day they'll stand before God. Pilate was called, God called Pilate for a a specific purpose. But don't forget that Pilate was accountable for every decision he made. We are accountable, in a sense, for every decision we make. Every government is accountable for every decision they make before God. So God's not there like a puppet, you know, taking treating people like puppets and just pulling the strings. He's given them latitude. He's given them choices to make. And unfortunately, some make some very, very evil, evil choices. Amen. That's right. We do. Now, we need to understand that sometimes we put so much power and emphasis on on, on, on national nations' powers or whatever. But remember, not one government can send one single person to hell. Not one. But we have a living Savior who can. And people that are living without the living Savior a little bit of fire and brimstone, just a little bit. And sometimes we probably need to talk about this more in church because there's so much at stake. Sometimes we take for granted, you know, our faith. We take for granted. We come and we, we pray and we sing, whatever. But what about those people that are, are, are out of Christ, that aren't even thinking about Christ? Christ isn't even in their lives. What about those family members, your friends or whatever? If they die, they're going to hell. I didn't write the book. But the Bible says if they die, they're going to hell. Jesus said again, didn't he? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to his Father except through me. We all have them in our families. 
I have some family members that I'm really concerned about. I can't hit them over the head. I can't force them. I just pray for them and pray for them. But I know, I know that if they die before they receive Christ, where they're going. Did not Billy Graham say that time and time again in his crusades? He would say something like, well, you don't know. Don't hold off a decision for Christ because you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. You might die tonight. That was one of his big, I'm just kind of paraphrasing him, but you see what he's trying to say, how important this is? This is not simply for entertainment. This God has given us a call. You and me, all of us are evangelists in some sort to share the gospel with other people. Are you sharing the gospel with others? You know, we're called to do that. Can you stand up? You know, one thing I can say about me, I am so against abortion. So against it. And I'm willing to stand up. I can stand before you and say, I will never deny or say that it is right. I don't care what it costs me. It is wrong. In the eyes of God, it is wrong, 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 wrong. Sometimes we have to stand up for Christ. And sometimes even sharing the gospel with someone you know that's not saved. So what are you afraid of? Being embarrassed? Laughed at? Oh, I don't know if you say it. No, I don't. they're going to think I'm kind of goofy or whatever. Their soul is at stake. Not your pride or my pride. I'm speaking to myself as well. You know, we have a calling, all of us. And our, our one, I call it a universal calling, is to share Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form with the unsaved. Are we doing this? Well, unfortunately, I've been a pastor for, oh my, so many years. And I'm sad to say that I don't think we're doing it. Not as a church, we talk about it. How many times do I go work out, Maria? I'm in my beautiful sweats. You know, I got my grubby sweatshirt on, my grubby tennis shoes, and I go in, I say good morning, and go find my machines to work out. Don't say a word. Those people, probably 99% of those people, don't even know I'm a pastor. That's on me. What am I doing to make a difference in their lives? Could be, if they knew that I was a pastor, maybe by my actions, that might be some kind of a witness. See, so I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well. None of us are off the hook. All of us are in there. And God help me, I'm praying, God help me to be a better uh, witness for you outside of my workplace. I have a tendency, I've talked to my brother Chris about this or whatever. I have a tendency to be, a, believe it or not, I'm a quiet person. I am. I am an introvert. And people that really know me well know that. I have a hard time going to parties 
because I have a hard time doing small talk. And, it, and, and Jan, she could talk to the wall. She could talk to the stranger. Me, I'm in the corner, I'm going, how much time? When do we going to leave? I'm already planning my exit strategy. But you know something? That is not unusual for pastors. Many pastors are introverts. They just are. That doesn't make it right. And that doesn't get me off the hook either, does it? Or you. Hear what I'm saying? I keep, I'm, I'm beating on this because it is so important because if a person dies and they're not in Christ, they're going to be in one place. That is too much, isn't it? That is too much. So God help all of us be better witnesses for you and throw in this old pastor as well. Amen? All right, now let's, on the lighter note, let's finish this on a lighter note, okay? Now, you're probably going to wonder, does this pastor really have a life? Does he really have a life? And... I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, our last verse. Verses for the day. It's one we've heard many, many, many times. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here it comes. I read... How many have ever taken a cruise? How many want to take a cruise? A lot of hands go up. They are, personally, we've been on four of them. And that's not a lot. We've been on four. And we love them. We love them. What about a cruise that, that you like? Think about things of a crew, on a cruise ship that you like. I like the ambiance. I like, I like the food. I don't eat a lot of the desserts. But I'd love to see all the, we go to the dessert tables and we just look. We don't take, we just look. So love the food, love all of that. Did you know that I think people really need to get a life, how people can come up with this, that on a, a cruise, a, a cruise line, what they did is they inventoried, of course, you know, uh, before, when, uh, before the, 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 ship, the uh, ship departed, all the, all the food that they'd need for that cruise. Would be a seven-day cruise or a 10-day cruise? I do not know what I'm sharing with you if this was a seven- or 10-day cruise. But it takes 600 pounds of butter, 600 pounds of butter per day, 1,500 pounds of flour per day, Two hundred and fifty thousand eggs per week, seventeen hundred pounds of fresh fruit and vegetables, to keep thirty-five hundred people on a cruise ship well fed, well fed and content. Can I have some music here, guys? Well-fed and content. I thought about that. That's a lot, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? I was, you know, I was thinking of the flexes and the handlings here. 
when I was doing my crazy stuff, I was thinking when it comes to the egg department, I thought, what a contract that would be. You know, you don't have enough chickens to kind of, you know, take care of that. But my good, can you imagine having a contract for that? Guaranteed. You better hope you treat your chickens good because they had to lay a lot of eggs. But the Bible, <laughs> I hope the scripture, this uh, the sermon is not laying an egg, but it just, it's a gift just comes to me. Uh, when Paul talked about all scripture, he was talking about every word of God is God-breathed, is inspired by God. That means the purpose for me, I'm thinking about the purpose of the Bible, therefore, for me, the purpose is to bring salvation. Salvation comes through Christ as revealed in the Word of God. The purpose of the Bible is to Equip us and guide us to live as Christians the life that God wants us to live. We don't really have any problem with that, do we? And we do this through the study of the Word of God, the study of the Word, and applying its words into action. Therefore, therefore, and to give to God and what and what is God's is God's also means giving Jesus Christ all the glory, all the honor, total authority, totally ownership, total authority as the scriptures record. That's why Paul, I think, said this to assure us that all scriptures God breathed is not man-made up. And for the purpose is to know and grow in Christ and the ways of Christ, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. So all of us are on that journey. We're not there. We're, we, we're already, but not yet. We still blow. We still make mistakes, but we learn through the Word of God. We learn these things. So to give to God what is God's. Give back to Him what is His. What is His? And that includes everything living under civil authority even. So we are, in closing, we are citizens of this country. But more importantly, we are citizens of our permanent home. Where is that? Heaven. Heaven, heaven, heaven's our permanent home. Guys, I look out at this young, well, not all young. I look out at this young audience and think, my goodness, most of you people are just far younger than I am. Hard to believe, Gary. You know, it's hard to believe that I've lived this long in this planet. And Jen and I talk, now we don't talk about this all the time because we don't lament on that, on those kind of things. But just in conversation, can you imagine? I never thought that we'd be at our age. I try to console Jan because she's worried about that. 
But really, when you stop and think about it seriously, the Bible talks about years that we live on this earth. You're 40 years old, 60, 70, 80, 90. <laughs> Should I shoot for 100? 100? No, 100. But see, that is nothing compared to eternity. How long we live on this planet is, it's, it's over in a whisker. We're talking, I've talked with some of you about your kids. I look at your kids are growing up so fast. You know, they're growing up before our very eyes. And when you blink your eye, they'll be, you know, junior high or high school, college, whatever. And then suddenly you are alone with your spouse, God willing, because your kids are gone. And then you look forward to grandchildren. My point, it goes so, so fast. So what's the point here? Because eternity lasts forever. That's our permanent home. That should drive us. Knowing that one day we will be with Jesus should drive us today. Because that day is going to come for all of us. We can't hide in the closet. So where are you going to be? Our citizenship is in heaven where Jesus Christ lives. Amen? In heaven. We have so, so much to be thankful for this holiday season, don't we? We have so, so much because we are going to, we're celebrating God's greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. And he came for that reason that I'm just talking about. That's the reason why Jesus came. You give to the government what you need to give to the government. And, but give to God all that is God's. It's everything. It's everything. And communion, I think, really, for me, kind of nails that. That as we celebrate communion, we're remembering what I just said. Everything... God owns. In a sense, he owns us. He owns us. How do you feel? Sometimes when you pray, so I'm going down a rabbit trail here, but that's all right, I guess. You know, sometimes we put, at least I do, and say I pray and ask God to forgive me of something, and then once I pray that, sometimes I don't feel forgiven and that's when the spirit of God hits me he said but you are you're forgiven by God his grace you don't deserve it but he forgives us because God loves us so much we're forgiven by his grace don't my brothers and sisters if you're hanging on to something, don't hang on to it. Give it to your loving Jesus and let him take care of it and remember that he loves you unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, that was the first part of the message. I think, one of, at least for me, that when we celebrate communion,
and we do this on a monthly basis, I think it's always good for us to remember maybe in a fresh new way what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. That as we go through our daily lives, the ups and the downs, the cares and concerns, the joys and the sorrows, that through it all, communion stands out. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So when he gathered with his disciples in that upper room, they were sharing a meal together. Then Jesus said to them, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembering me. 